0: This episode contains descriptions of the types of violence, torture, and body horror that go on in hells and in hellish realms. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, my name is Nick Bright, scholar of East Asian religions.
1: And I'm Proven Paradox, a guy
0: with a lot of questions. And you're listening to Bright on Buddhism, a podcast where we discuss East Asian Buddhism, answering listener-submitted questions from listeners just like you, and introducing concepts of Buddhism that you may or may not be familiar with in a casual, conversational setting.
1: Enjoy. Here, is there some means of divine punishment or retribution for evil in the world?
0: That is an interesting question. I think there is a cause and effect relationship between the things that we do and the circumstances of our lives, but I don't think there is some balance book in which some arbiter of justice keeps track of everything.
1: What do you think That relationship you speak of is. Do you think that bad actions result in bad circumstances, and good actions result in good circumstances?
0: I do, and the Buddha says so as well. Due to the doctrine of karma, there is a straight line that can be drawn between every cause and every effect, and to know that line is to be enlightened.
1: Then I wonder what evils one must do to be reborn in the hells. The inhabitants there experience circumstances of suffering, completely unheard of in the human realms.
0: Indeed, many of them committed one or more of the five gravest sins, or they lived so immorally that they incurred extremely long lives of horrible suffering for themselves.
1: May they be uplifted from that suffering somehow in the future.
0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Bride on Buddhism. This week we will be discussing demons in Buddhism. What are demons in Buddhism? What is their status in the canon? How ought we understand them? We hope you enjoy.
1: So, let's get to it. What are demons in Buddhism?
0: Demons, also called hell-dwellers, are the inhabitants of the Buddhist hells. The Buddhist hells are called narakas, and their varieties deserve some discussion here because, through such a discussion, the characteristics and the situation of the inhabitants there will become more clear. Before that, We should mention that like all other six realms, these inhabitants and the realm they live in are inherited from Hindu traditions that existed before Buddhism. Let's look at the names of this realm in other languages. In Sanskrit, they're called Narakas. In Chinese, Diyu. In Japanese, Jigoku or Naraku. And in Korean, Jiok. I mention these names in the other languages for a couple of reasons. One reason I've mentioned the names in the other languages is so that you can learn something cool, but the other reason is that if you're a listener from one of these cultures, you can see that there is a localized folk religion aspect here. The realm of Diyu and Jigoku and Jiyok actually predate Buddhism in China and Japan and Korea respectively. This was the folk religious underworld, or the realm of the dead inhabited by people who died who were evil in life, or who had been forgotten after their deaths. These realms where they lived were thought to be cavernous underground realms with various kinds of punishment and discomforts for their inhabitants. Thus, when Buddhism showed up, there was something like a ready-made template over which the texts could be understood and interpreted by the people living in those places. When they read about the Narakas and the Sutras, people that lived in China, Korea, Japan could think to themselves, oh, this is just Jigoku, or Diyu, or Jiyok. We've talked about how Buddhism localized to specific cultures a lot, and this is one of the shining examples of the means by which this sort of thing took place. Back to the discussion of the Narakas themselves, in Buddhism there are two main types of Narakas, cold Narakas and hot Narakas. There are eight great cold Narakas, and they are Arbuda, the blister Naraka, which is a dark frozen plain surrounded by icy mountains and experiences constant blizzards, Inhabitants of this world arise fully grown and abide lifelong naked and alone, while the cold causes them to get blisters on their bodies. The length of life in this Naraka is said to be the time it would take to empty a barrel of sesame seeds if you only took one single seed out every 100 years. The next hell is Nirarbuda, the burst blister Naraka, which is even colder than the previous one. Here, the blisters burst open, leaving the beings' bodies covered with frozen blood and pus. The next one is atata, which is the shivering naraka, and there the beings are shivering because it's so cold, and that's why it's called atata, is because they're making an at dot sound with their mouths. The next one is Hahava, and this one is the lamentation naraka. Here, it's even colder, and the beings lament in the cold, and they go ha-ha in pain because of it. The next one is huhuva, and this one is the chattering teeth naraka, where they shiver so much that their teeth chatter, making the sound hu hu. The next one is utpala, and this one is called the blue lotus naraka, because the cold there makes all of the inhabitants skin turn blue. The next one is padma, or the lotus naraka, and it has blizzards that crack open frozen skin Leaving the inhabitants raw and opened up and bloody, kind of like how a lotus is opened up. And then the worst of the cold hells is Mahapadma, or the great lotus, Naraka. In this one, the entire body opens up like a lotus after cracking into pieces from being frozen. Here, the internal organs are exposed to the cold, and also they open up and crack themselves. Worse than these are the eight great hot hells, and they are Sanjiva, This one is particularly grisly because it's called the reviving Naraka. Here, the ground is made of hot iron and it's heated by like an immense fire underneath. And beings in this Naraka appear fully grown, already in a state of fear and misery. As soon as the being in this realm begins to fear being harmed by others, their fellows appear and attack each other with iron claws and guards appear and attack them with fiery weapons. As soon as the Inhabitants here experience an unconsciousness that's kind of like death. Suddenly they're restored back to full health and the whole thing starts over again. It is said to be 1,000 yojanas beneath Jambudvipa, the Buddha realm where we are now. Just for clarification, a yojana is said to be 8 to 10 miles. This realm is also 10,000 yojanas from anything in each direction, from any other realm. The next hot hell is the Kalasutra Naraka. Which is the Black Thread Naraka. This one has all of the torments of Sanjiva, but in addition, black lines are drawn upon the body of the hell dwellers, and the hell guards use these as guides to cut the beings apart with fiery saws and axes. The next one is Samgata, the Crushing Naraka. This one is surrounded by huge masses of rock that smash together and crush the beings into a very bloody pulp. When the rocks move apart again, Life is restored to the hell dwellers there, and they start the process all over again. The next one is the Raurava, or the Screaming Naraka. And this is where hell dwellers run wildly about looking for refuge from the burning ground. And when they find any kind of shelter, they're locked inside it as the shelter burns down around them, and they scream on the inside. The next one is the Maha Raurava Naraka, or the Great Screaming Naraka and this one's very similar to the previous one. Punishment here is for people who maintain their own body by hurting others. In this hell, birds torment them and eat their flesh all while the ground is on fire. The next one is the tapana naraka. This one is the heating naraka, where hell guards impale beings on a fiery spear until flames issue from all of their orifices. The next one is the pratapana naraka, or the great heating naraka. The tortures here are similar to the previous one, but the beings are pierced in a more violent and grisly fashion with a trident instead of a spear. The final hot hell is the worst of all of these 16 that we've described so far, and this one is the Avici Naraka. This one is the uninterrupted Naraka. Beings here are roasted in an immense blazing oven, and they experience all kinds of terrible suffering and torture. As I mentioned, the hot narakas are worse than the cold ones, and the punishments that go on there are much longer and much more graphic and terrible. The inhabitants of these realms end up there as a result of some karmic act in their lifetime that is consummate with their punishment. Each lifetime in these narakas is eight times the length of the one before it. The sufferings of the hell-dwellers that live there often resemble those of the Pretas, and the two types of being are easily confused. The way we distinguish between these beings is that the hell-dwellers are trapped in the underground realms, and the Praetas can move about freely. This makes hell-dwellers very different from Judeo-Christian demons in that they can't really interact with any human beings. There is possession in Buddhism, and we'll talk about that in a future episode, but there's no possession of humans by the inhabitants of the Narakas, because they can't interact with anybody from any realm other than their own.
1: We've been using the term demon for the inhabitants of a Naraka, this episode, but I think that's kind of a misnomer, at least as the word is understood in the West. When I'm thinking of demon, I'm thinking of something powerful that mortals might want to make deals with or interact with in in a transactional way, or the beings that are in a given hell doing the punishment. When we're talking about the beings born in the narakas most of the time they're not demons if i were giving them a term based on what's going on i would call them something like a wretch not a demon And, and also in sanjiva there is mention of guards coming out with fiery weapons those guards are demons and the hell dwellers are the people being tormented by the demons so it's like I understand that this is a matter of translating, you know, between languages that don't, you know, have the same context, but, like, this is another one on the realm of calling dukkha suffering. Like, that feels wrong, like, incorrect.
0: I agree completely. I often like to use hell dwellers as a term instead because it just really drives home that they're residents there rather than rather than being any sort of being with agency over other types of beings, right? However, we should note that it's possible that these guards are also like fellow inhabitants, and so they're also being tortured. The whole idea of the suffering in the Narakas is supposed to be like the cycle of suffering in samsara just turned up to 11, and so it's kind of embellished and made more dramatic for the purpose of demonstrating the point that Buddhism's trying to make to people. And so, the reason why the hell guards impale other people in this realm with their fiery tridents is because they themselves are being impaled with fiery tridents, and it's just going in a big circle. And to remedy that suffering is to attempt to break that cycle, and the way to do that is to do away with the unwholesome causes which cause there to be inhabitants in these hells in the first place, right? And that's basically, in sum, what Buddhism is trying to do for the realm of the humans. So I think that there's a huge teaching tool aspect to the relationship between the inhabitants and the guards. And I agree also, I think that saying demon here is carrying with it a lot of Judeo-Christian baggage that we just really don't need whenever we're looking at something this distant from you know Judaism, Christianity, and Islam.
1: So with that noted, we're still probably going to use the word demon once in a while for this, but we've noted that... That translation is not quite correct. So let's get back to the script. So what is the status of hell dwellers and the canon?
0: There are physical descriptions of the Narakas and the inhabitants of them that we've mentioned a moment ago, but there are also many stories of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas traveling to these Narakas to preach to the demons or the hell dwellers and to try to save them, which we ought to mention. If you remember our previous episode on Maggalyayana, there is a story we have in a Dunhuang cave manuscript dating back to the 9th century common era where Madgao Yayana asks the Buddha where his parents went after they died. This story is a longer version of a story that came up in a sutra as early as the 4th century common era. In the story, Madgao Yayana, whose name is Mulian in Chinese, seeks the help of the Buddha to rescue his mother, who has been reborn in the Prada world in the sutra, or in the Avicii hell in the Dunhuang cave tale madgao cannot rescue her by his individual effort, but the Buddha instructs him to offer food and gifts to monks and monasteries on the 15th day of the 7th lunar month. This established the Ghost Festival, or in Chinese the Gui-jie. Mulian, or madgao devotion to his mother reassured East Asian people that Buddhism did not undermine the Confucian value of filial piety, and it also helped to make Buddhism into a more localized Chinese religion, and it also reflected existing trends of piety that existed in Indian Buddhism already. While the most significant aspect of this story is that it established a ritual tradition of making offerings to the dead in Chinese Buddhism, another important aspect is this idea that the inhabitants of the Narakas can be saved by our actions in this realm. To this day, there are festivals and rituals whose purpose is directed not only as saving the community from the hungry ghosts and saving the hungry ghosts themselves, but also saving the hell-dwellers from their suffering as well. Later, in several Mahayana Sutras, the suffering of the Narakas and their inhabitants is described further, specifically in the context of the Bodhisattvas actually traveling to these realms in order to preach to the demons or the hell-dwellers and save them that way. The Bodhisattva Kasita Garba, known as Dizong in Chinese or Jizo in Japanese, is known for doing a lot of work to save the hell dwellers and this is described in detail in his Kasita Garba Sutra. It is one of the bodhisattvas' main duties to work to save all sentient beings, including the demons, or the hell dwellers, and the hungry ghosts. The work of Kasita Garba in the hell realms is also all shaped in the context of the idea that we can do stuff here to accrue merit that can be transferred there to help them. Merit transfer is one of the more complicated Mahayana doctrines that can be seen But in the minds of the Mahayana practitioners, it makes it easier for us to do work here that saves beings in other realms. If we can invite the beings to a ritual where a sutra is recited and offerings are made to the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, or if we can do the ritual in their name, then the merit is transferred from our actions to them because of the doctrine of non self and non duality. As such, they are often invoked in text and in ritual in a variety of contexts and for a variety of purposes but most of them are directed towards alleviating their suffering or attempting to enlighten or save them in some way.
1: How Ought We Understand Hell Dwellers?
0: Since we've described not only the circumstances and the characteristics of the Narakas and their inhabitants, as well as the rituals that the Mahayana comes up with to help them, we can now see a couple of different iterations of them. I can describe here two iterations of Naraka doctrine. The earlier iteration of them Is the one inherited from the Vedic traditions, and is the one that is super graphically terrible and scary and has total fire and brimstone energy just like Judeo-Christian hells. This iteration is something that is used to motivate lay practitioners not to do bad things, lest they end up in that place. This is one of the ideas behind every single negative afterlife mythos in every religion. Nearly every religion that presents a morality or an ethic has to face down the question why should I do what you say? And the answer that many come up with is, because if you are bad in this life, something bad will happen to you in the next. The second iteration reimagines the Narakas and their inhabitants as the focus of ritual and offerings. They're not presented as a warning against living in certain ways, as much as they're presented as objects of pity and compassion. The idea of reincarnation and non-duality is fleshed out to the point where it is frequently argued, that the reason we should show compassion and kindness towards hell-dwellers is that they were once our parents, siblings, children, aunts, uncles, cousins, etc., in different past lives. Thus, we should do rituals and make offerings to them as part of our bodhisattva practices, but also as part of our filial piety and our respect and love for our family. I think we should also not ignore hell-dwellers' role in terms of their aspect as local and folk-religious mythical creatures. This is their oldest and most culturally significant role in the cultures where Buddhism has traveled to, and it is one of the most important in the processes of localization that can be observed with Buddhism and Chinese, Korean, and Japanese religion, as well as others over time. All of this being the case, we should remember something important, which I've saved for the last bit of the episode. There are no named hell dwellers that we know of. Because they are unable to leave the hell realms where they live, they do not attend the Buddhist sermons in the human realm and because they are usually only able to make certain noises, they don't speak or communicate with anybody. They don't have high cognitive abilities. Think about how humans frequently think of animals as being a lower level of consciousness than humans. Then think about how hungry ghosts are thought of as even lower than that. Well, demons or hell-dwellers are supposed to be even lower than that. These are supposed to be the basest levels of creatures, so they are not active in any of the canon or the sutras at all, and they don't do anything in any of the texts.
1: I'll also bring in from stuff I have read elsewhere that the eight cold hells and the eight hot hells are not necessarily the only ones. My understanding is that that list gets added to every time it gets syncretized to a local religion to a point where there are a lot of different Buddhist hells, not just these.
0: That's true. Yes, I only presented the Indian text Hells that are presented in the Pali Canon and in the Indian religious texts that predate Buddhism. However, the cosmology is different in China, Tibet, Korea, Japan, and in each place, there's often sometimes even more than one cosmology because there's competing religious traditions that predate Buddhism there already. And in those cases, the hells are still a template that Buddhism can be read into and read onto. By the people who live where Buddhism travels to. But at the same time, the hells and the landscape and what happens there and who goes there and why, it can be very different. Because, like I said, death rituals and death mythology is one of the things in Buddhism that just gets localized and reinterpreted and changed the most over Buddhism's history as it goes through East
1: Asia. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode on demons in Buddhism. Join us next week, where we will discuss samadhi. What is samadhi in Buddhism? How does one attain it? What happens when they do? We hope to see you there. Thank you for listening.
0: Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. My
1: name is Nick Bright, scholar
0: of East Asian religions and voice of hearer.
1: And I'm Docs, editor, question asker, and voice of hermit. And this is Med Bright on
0: Buddhism. Thank you for listening. If you like our podcast, or if you have a question you'd like us to discuss, we'd love to hear from you. Please consider leaving a comment or review, subscribing, or joining us on social media. Email us at bright.on.buddhism at gmail.com, or find us on Mastodon at brightbuddhism at mstdn.party. As always, citations and resources for this episode can be found in the show notes. Thank you.